Hey everybody, our board slash OITE podcast companion book is now available for you to follow along and take notes with our podcast review. Just click the link in the description. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROCK, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. We are continuing on with our OITE slash our board review series on joint reconstruction. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and do not fret. We are working on some notes to go along with this as well. So we'll likely we will likely release a book that has all of the sections completely done, but it may be a little while, hopefully this year. Um, so just stick with us and enjoy the episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Now, what are some reasons for failure after a unicompartmental arthroplasty? Uh, so, like I said, if you overcorrect, then you're going to get opposite compartment degeneration. Um, you can get component loosening and poly wear slash failure, especially if you overstuff that joint or you overcorrect that joint. That's going to put a lot of stress on the poly and you can get increased poly wear, which overall might be more beneficial because you're, you're decreasing that space. But we all know that uh, poly wear and those debris particles will then lead to osteolysis and loosening of the implant. So I'm by no means saying that we want poly wear in these components, but uh, overcorrection is probably what you're going to get. Um, if you have a, a patellar impingement, uh, because of the uh, placement of the femoral or tibial components uh, as the knee is articulating, you can get uh, patella impingement on that. And then implant subsidence. If you have poor metaphyseal bone or if you don't correctly size, it's mostly on the tibial side, but can be on the femur. Uh, if you don't correctly size the implant to have good cortical tibial uh, rim uh, support that tibial component will subside on you. And, and that is uh, a reason for uh, uni compartmental failure. And so uh, let's say you've, uh, you don't really want to do a uni on your patient in clinic because they have tricompartmental disease. And now you're kind of moving on to talking about uh, total knee arthroplasty with either your patient or one of your colleagues. What are some of the main types of uh total knee arthroplasties and important things to note about them oh yeah i remember uh looking at this and if there are any interns or second years or lower level listening to this and you're able to understand this and get all these different types as well as some of the things we're going to talk about in a bit you are ahead of the game or at least you are ahead of where i was when i was an intern i just remember just the two basic cr and psds i didn't know much after that but um anyways let's go ahead and hop into it so we're looking at the unconstrained implants, you can have a, you can have kind of these 
broad categories, but one category is a PCL or posterior cruciate ligament retaining total knee arthroplasty. Some people call this a cruciate retaining or a CR knee. And then you can also have a PCL substituting um, total knee arthroplasty or a posterior stabilizing uh, arthroplasty or PS knee. So you're looking at CR knee and then PS knee. When we're looking at our CR knee, some of the um, things that that are that you can note about those is when you have that retained PCL and, you know, we're going to talk about some stuff, but some of the stuff you kind of got to go and read because there's a lot, uh, a lot of information here. Um, but when we talk about our PCL retaining implants, when you retain the PCL, it allows for some femoral rollback. Uh, and we know that because as, a, as, as your knee flexes, you get a little bit of rollback of the, of the condyles here. Your, you have uh, your, your lateral condyle actually rotates around the medial, and which we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, so for those, you know, now in order to allow for this femoral rollback, the actual polyethylene between the two metal components should be flat or slightly dissed to allow the rollback. Um, other things to note when we're looking at PCL retaining total arthroplasties or the, the CR knees is that a your, your PCL, if it's too tight, it may actually cause polyethylene wear and osteolysis. And if you remove too much of the PCL, uh, you know, on the opposite ends of things, uh, this can actually lead to late failure due to flexion instability. And we'll talk about uh, extension and flexion instability in a little while when we talk about our balancing. But so this is a first main category, again, PCL retaining total knee arthroplasties. And the next category is going to be our PCL substituting total knee arthroplasties or posterior stabilizing or PS knees. And typically for these, you know, patients, and, and this is, again, you're taking away the PCL, and this is going to be useful for patients that have inflammatory arthritis, if they have any type of PCL insufficiency, or if they've had a prior patellectomy in the past and how these implant work is that you don't have your PCL anymore. So your polyethylene, there's a post and then a cam that allows rollback during flexion. Um, and so one of the things to note about that is you can have impingement between the post and the femoral box. Uh, but one of the big things again to note is when you're looking about this is Google it and it'll make sense. Like if you look Google, posterior stabilizing total knee arthroplasty and you look at the components it makes sense the pcl retaining ones there's no box but now with these pcl substituting ones in, in, our, in order to allow that femoral rollback during flexion the there's a post on the pel on the polyethylene that engages with the implant itself um, and also another subcategory of our ps knees was going to be our ultra congruent or anterior stabilized implant and all this is, it has a liner, the polyethylene or that plastic liner, again, that's in between these two metal components. It's a congruent liner. So the liner is shaped a little bit more congruent with the condyles. And it also has a little bit of buildup of the anterior lip of the polyethylene. Uh, and so when you have these type of implants, that's where you get that kind of a little bit more stability where you have the anterior lip buildup. So you don't need that box that you see uh, when you're looking at a lateral x-ray in a PSD. So we talked about the 
the post and the cam, which typically have the box and the implant. We also have our ultra congruent or our anterior stabilized knee, which is a part of our PS knees. We also have a medial pivot total knee arthroplasty, which, uh, which actually some of our attendings use a lot. And what this medial pivot total knee arthroplasty is, is you have a high congruency on the medial aspect. So if you look at the polyethylene uh, insert when you're doing these total knee arthroplasties, it's a little bit deeper, um, the actual dish where that it articulates with the with the femur. So it's highly congruent on the medial spide and less laterally um, on the lateral side of the polyethylene to allow some of that femoral rollback. So this allows you to use a, a CR or a cruciate retaining style of a femur uh, implant. And again, I know it's a lot that I'm saying right now. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you're driving, you may be a little lost, um, but if you just Google each one of these things, it'll make a little bit more sense. And then one of the last parts to our PCL substituting total knee arthroplasties are going to be our high flexion total knee arthroplasties. And the things to note about that is that these implants theoretically are designed to allow for a greater arc of motion. So if you look at the implants posteriorly, um, the posterior condyles uh, have like a little bit, um, they're a little bit longer. And so theoretically to allow the knee to bend a little bit more. Um, but also, you know, studies show that they don't necessarily show a clinical postoperative increase in range of motion. So just to summarize, because again, I know that was a lot. We have our PCL retaining total knee arthroplasties or cruciate retaining. Those are the same things where the PCL is maintained. And you also have your PCL substituting total knee arthroplasties where the PCL is taken. And within that, you have uh, you have the polyethylene pulse and the cam that that gives you your stability because the PCL is out. You also have an ultra congruent or an anterior stabilized implant where the polyethylene has a has a uh, an anterior lip buildup. You also have a medial pivot total knee arthroplasty where the polyethylene on the medial side is a little bit deeper and it's a little bit more congruent than it is on the lateral side. And you also have the high flexion um, total knee arthroplasties. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. ROCK is an all-in-one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at rock.aaos.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access ROCK content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. I remember being at a at one meeting and they had like 18, you know, you go to like the academy and all these like different meetings and they have like 18 different knee implants and and my young young mind as an intern or beforehand was just like, I just know like PSCR and they're, they come with, oh, we, this is a, our ultra congruent type. This is our medial pivot knee. This is this knee. This is that knee. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> I have no idea what the difference is. Yeah. And then there's also fixed and rotating platforms, yep. um, which we might get into later but yeah like a fixed platform um 
is probably what a lot of people tend to see in residency where you click the poly into place and it actually locks and the poly and the tibia component become one solid unit. But then uh, rotating platform is basically uh, exactly what it sounds like. There's um, you put the poly in, but it's allowed to move uh, around the tibial component and uh, rotate with the femur. And the idea behind that was because our knee is not a uh, standard hinge joint that there's that rotational movement that you were talking about with the medial pivot, the lateral femoral rollback that a rotating hinge platform or not a rotating hinge, excuse me, a rotating platform will be more beneficial uh, for normal knee kinematics. But then what we also noticed was uh, there's backside polyethylene wear with that uh, and causing osteolysis and tibial component loosening. And so although those knees are still out there, I think the pendulum has swung more towards a fixed bearing component rather than a mobile bearing component. Where I was, I saw both, um, but it was definitely the the attendings that I had that were more arthroplasty trained used the fixed bearing components, whereas those who were more generalists or sports specific, they use the mobile bearing from time to time. And I think it just depended on, uh, honestly, it seemed like it just depended on the day where yeah. sometimes it would be mobile, sometimes it would be fixed. And it was like, oh, this is what we got today. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. One of our, you know, uh, where I'm at, one of our attendings uses fix, one of them uses mobile, mo- mobile, and, you know, they're both joint, joint people. Um, so yeah, we see both where I'm at. Um, but are there, are there any differences in outcomes between a posterior stabilized or a cruciate retaining, um, total knee arthroplasty design? No, long-term outcomes are the same. And, uh, that's another reason why, uh, I mean, I speak mostly from personal experience because I know that everybody gets great training across the country, but I know what I had. Um, and you can speak for what you had, but, um, just about everybody that I worked with did, uh, posterior stabilized. And it was more because it seems like it's a more, uh, a reproducible knee where you can completely resect the PCL and you don't have to worry about the PCL being too tight or too lax, uh, with a cruciate retaining type system. And so because the outcomes are no different, um, I probably will personally use just posterior stabilized knees, but that's because that's what I was trained on. And, um, I did write a paper, uh, prior to residency about, uh, selective release of the PCL in, uh, cruciate retaining total knees, whether we left the PCL we resected uh, 25%, 50%, or 75% and looked at the outcomes. And even if you resect 75% of the PCL in a cruciate retaining system, there's still no difference in outcomes if you retain the whole thing or nearly cut it all out. So I don't know if there's even a huge difference in keeping the PCL in a cruciate retaining system anyways. So uh, as long as their collaterals are intact, the knee will still remain pretty stable regardless. So. Uh, key part to that, it was a long little kind of story, but 
there are no difference, no long-term differences in outcomes between PS and CR knees. And so then you might, you might hear uh, one of your attendings talk about a patient. I'll be like, oh yeah, Mr. Jones, um, we have to do a, a CCK knee on this guy or a constrained uh, condylar implant. What is a constrained non-hinged implant? Yeah. And I remember um, hearing about this first and being confused. I thought constrained and hinged was like all the same, but it's not. So it constrains, uh, again, non-hinged implant. So these are going to be implants that have a larger poly post than just your normal like posterior stabilized knee. So this has a large uh, poly post and a deeper femoral box. So what that does, it increases the varus and valgus constraint as well as the rotation. And sometimes these implants can also have a metal reinforcing pin that goes in that goes in that in that large poly. So you can see that on X-ray and note that. But those are going to be the um, our, our constrained non-hinged implants. And these may be useful for revision total knees and primary total knees with severe pre-op deformity. Um, but you also need to note that with these implants, you see an increased stress across the component. Uh, and as well as the bone. So this may lead to higher wears, uh, higher rates of aseptic loosening and polywear. And I think we had, oh, tomorrow, actually, we have a, a, a guy that we did a totally on about three or four weeks ago. And he had these like flicks, you know, flexion deformities, uh, huge metaphyseal bone loss in the tibia, sublux knees, and, and there's no way that a, a primary implant, so we went ahead and put a, a constrained implant in on him, or was it a hinge? I think it might actually be a hinged implant. And we're doing his other side tomorrow because he can't walk because he had this deformity in both of his knees. So now one of his knees is straight, but his other ones doesn't touch the ground. <laughs> so we're going to do the other side. Uh, but, you know, that's what a constrained non-hinged implant is. But what is a rotating hinge implant? Oh, that's my bread and butter right there. That's what I use <laughs> all the time. Um, so rotating hinge means that um, the uh, tibia and the femur technically act like a hinge joint where there is a fixed hinge exactly like what you see on a door where there's only one way it can move. It can flex or extend. Um, and then what they found was the uh, true hinged arthroplasties were too much constraint on the native knee. And when you have too much constraint on a knee, uh, you get implant loosening. And so what they did is there's now a tibial post that goes into the tibial implant that acts as a, a rotational moment to allow for a little bit of that uh, tibial rotation with knee flexion, but the flexion and extension are no longer a uh, femoral rollback with medial pivot type of picture. It's a true hinge, but it is allowed to rotate within the uh, tibial component. And um, for those that are still confused, I know it's tough to kind of conceptualize this as you're learning about it. I, I know we, we say this a lot, but if you just type in rotating hinge component, you'll, you'll understand what we mean by the 
femur is locked in with a hinge with the post in the tibia that's allowed to rotate. And then uh, I, I think I pretty much covered this about the mobile and fixed bearing <laughs> total knees. Um, uh, I didn't see this question earlier. Oh, no uh, so I went ahead and, and talked about it. But again, briefly, mobile, bear, mobile bearing is probably actually the most similar to a rotating hinge implant where the polyethylene is allowed to rotate on the tibial surface. Uh, and then the fixed bearing means no motion. It clicks into the tibia and you have decreased uh, backside wear. Um, uh, the, the benefits of the mobile bearing are theoretically allows for a more kinematic knee flexion moment, whereas the fixed bearing does not. But again, there's no difference really in the outcomes of those either. And so um, what are the some of the long-term problems seen with the standard poly? Yeah. So, you know, after a long period of time, you know, if you compare these with the or standard poly compared with a crosslink poly, you may see uh, you see some oxidation, you get some osteolysis, which we've been talking about here and there, um, some putting as well as some delamination. And these are all things that are seen uh, with our standard poly wear with, with, with time, you know, five, 10, 15 years down the line. Uh, I think we did a, yeah, we did a revision, I think last week and you can take it out and we took the poly out you see a bunch of delamination um, on the poly itself. And, the recently, or I guess over the years, have been increasing use of cross-linked polyethylene inserts to help minimize these, you know, long-term problems such as oxidation as well as osteolysis. So, um, you know, you'll you'll go to these meetings and see them talk about our cross-linked polyethylene ultra congruent totally arthroplasty. And I'm hoping that after this, <laughs> you can recognize and at least have an idea of what they're talking about, as well as your attendings when when they ask you all, you know, Hey, what, what kind of an implant is this or what kind of implants are there? Now you have a little bit of a little bit more of a background. Now these things, well, yeah, I think they, they'll, they'll test your, at least they'll put on the answer choices, like using use of a constrained implant or not. So it's good to know it, but it's also just like good joints information to know in the background. And when can polyethylene spin out be seen, or I guess what is polyethylene spin out? And then when can it be seen? So polyethylene spin-out is seen with the mobile bearing rotating platform. And um, really, it's because that polyethylene is allowed to spin uh, within the tibia. Um, you see it with mainly with loose flexion gaps. So as the uh, femur does its what it's supposed to do with some femoral rollback and if the flexion gap is too loose and that femur is allowed to posterior, uh, posteriorly sublux on the tibia, it will kind of jump the backside of that mobile bearing and push it out or allow it to spin out of its uh, socket because it's not fixed in place, it's not locked in place. And so uh, what you'll see on radiographs with that is uh, the patients typically won't want to weight bear on it because their polyethylene is in a weird spot of the joint. So they won't be able to have good range of motion. You'll most likely be able to actually feel the polyethylene that's spun out and it's causing like a skin tenting or at least a bulge in the knee. Uh, and then um, 
the metallic implants are actually going to really want to to articulate on each other. There won't be a, a polyethylene separating them. That's what you're gonna see on the X-ray if they are able to do some sort of weight bearing sort of X-rays. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you all are learning something. Dr. Woolwine is very smart. Um, so I hope you all are learning something uh, from us go back and forth. And we hope that you all are subscribed and stay tuned. And again, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Nailed It Ortho.